How many of you, uh, and I'm going to ask you to stand, how many of you speak uh, Spanish? Would you just stand up? You speak Spanish. I want to want to see how many, because I'm, I'm about to take maybe Spanish lessons, and I, I need to be encouraged, you know. I already got one, Jose. There you have it. I, I'm learning quickly. We love our Spanish contingent. How many of you uh, speak another language other than English? Would you stand? Other than English. Okay, it's very good. Okay, and here's the biggie. You might be seated. Uh, how many of you speak? Now, you stay with me now, and I want you to respond in the balcony down here. How many of you speak a little yard talk? Would you stand? A little yard talk. Go ahead. You start. little yard talk. I'm encouraged. There you go. That's good. Well, now I know the audience I'm preaching to. <clears throat> Words from the cross, the text is found, John 19. My study for the message, our, our bodies are about 60% water. And that means if you're like me, you weigh 150 pounds, you are carrying... Uh, <laughs> so you people that don't talk yard talk, you don't know what I just said. The 150 pounds, I'm carrying about 12 gallons of water. That is a lot of water. You can't live without water. You get dehydrated. Your muscles will begin to cramp. You get headaches, fatigue. You get tired enough that your system will eventually just shut down. That's why you hear of individuals who are in hot, dry places around the world, desert, who literally lost their mind because of the lack of water over a period of time. You hear the word? This is the fifth word that Jesus spoke. It said, I'm thirsty. It means a dip soto, dip so, dip so. It's a Greek word, but it's larger than just I'm thirsty for water. It's thirsty for something that gives life. You remember that Jesus was on the cross from 9 a.m. in the morning until what time in the afternoon? Right, 3 p.m. in the afternoon. And this is what he said. This is our text. John 19, after this, stay with me now, Jesus knew that everything had been completed. In other words, his purpose of being on earth, his imminent death now is coming. Everything has been completed. Now watch this. So that the scripture would come true, comma, he said, I am thirsty. Why did he say, I am thirsty? Come on now, help me. So the scripture would come true. You see, everything that God does from the very beginning of time is connected. There is no disconnect. God has a reason and a plan and a purpose for everything that you read in this book. It's no wonder that he has a reason and a purpose and a plan just for you. He didn't create you, create you for nothing. He created you for something, but far exceeds your expectation. We know that. Jesus was first nailed to the cross, of course. They offered him a drink, and it was not the drink that he was looking for. They offered him a drink, and what did he do? The Bible says in Mark 15, they offered it to Jesus, but he refused it. Well, why did he refuse the drink? I mean, he'd been up all night long. He was tired, going through several trials or religious trials government trials, of course, and but yet when they offered him a drink, he's there. He's just been nailed to that cross. 
You might remember that when Jesus was a baby, some individuals came and offered him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Y'all, y'all just good. By the way, when I'm thinking about it, sometimes I think while I'm preaching. Otherwise, I'm under the anointing. Why don't you give our online guests, there are thousands of them now, give them a great big Victory Church welcome. Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Well, one of the primary purposes for the myrrh, they mixed it in, was it was, uh, could be used as a painkiller. The executioners would offer it to their individuals who were on the cross to try to kill their pain, but they had a, they had a selfish motive. They didn't want to hear those on the cross being nailed to the cross, cry out and moan and groan and scream and all that while they're in the process of dying. So they thought, here's what we'll do. We'll just give them a little drink mixed with myrrh, and that'll just kind of soften the pain, and they won't scream and cry and moan so much. That is a fact. Jesus said no. He said no because I don't want to be dazed. I don't want to be under any anesthesia. I want to feel the full load of the sin. I want to feel the full load of the pain. I want to experience every sharp cut in my back. I don't want to skirt anything. I want it to be real. I want to be in my proper faculties, and I want to know that I'm doing the will of the Father. Do not do anything to me that lessens my pain. Isn't that amazing? But after that, we understand we understand that Jesus made this statement. After this, Jesus knew everything had been completed. And then what did he say? Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you forsaken me? At that moment, at that moment, he knew that his purpose had been accomplished. Why have you forsaken me? Then he says, I am thirsty. Why would he say, I am thirsty now from nine to three and did not take anything to drink to begin with? Well, I'm sure you know the answer, but for those of you who do not, I'm going to share it with you. You see, we say that, well, when he died, he descended into hell. We, we understand all that, but friend, it was hell on the cross. You talk about hell on the cross. It was difficult for him to look up, and the Father could not look down on his chosen one and, and keep his eye on him. That's why he said, my God, why have you forsaken me? At the moment of dying, he, he took upon every murder, every sin, every lie, every cheat, everything that's there. He cried out at that moment. He wanted to feel it. When he says, I thirst, that, that's the cry of hell because there is no water in hell as a matter of fact, there's no party in hell. And my friend, you are all alone in hell. You don't see anyone other than darkness itself. You are separated from anything you've ever known. You're separated in total darkness, no fellowship for all of eternity. And there is no water. And the fire is hotter than any time, seven times at least, than you could imagine. And so you're going to pass up an invitation to know Jesus? So you're going to live for yourself to take a chance on eternity? So you're going to be stubborn and reject the Holy Spirit over and over again? You're going to say yes then and no tomorrow? And that's your destination without Jesus. 
And the devil will lie to you to keep you away from there. Jesus said, I thirst. What did it mean? What did he mean when he said, I thirst? What does it tell us about other people and their thirst? And what's it say about my own spiritual thirst? Jesus experienced every pain known to man during his life. He said nothing. When he was arrested that night, he went through pure agony, the cat of nine tails, so that you understand that if the cat of nine tails, there was, there, there was bone and rock and glass at the end of each leather strap that slammed against his body. There were 40 stripes at least. That's nine, that's nine cat of nine tails, 40 stripes. And we know that that happens to be a sum total of 360 potential slices and cuts down his back and he says I don't want anything to lessen my pain because if you're going to go head to head with the enemy if you're going to go head to head with death and you are the only sacrifice be sure you get it right and what you're going to find in this message that he got it right always. Amen. Always got it right. He said nothing. And then when it gets to the end, Scripture to be fulfilled, I am thirsty. So there is a theological reason, there is a prophetic reason, and there is a personal reason. When he said, I thirst, John was there. Remember that? Hey, John, take care of my mother. Mom, this guy's going to take care of you. Remember that in the message that we share? But John was there. You see, in the reality, John heard what he said. I thirst. At the end, Eli, Eli, Sabachthani, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, now, I, I thirst. You see, Jesus was 100% God and 100% human. He was human so that he could experience all the pain and suffering. And so we find in Philippians 2 that Jesus gave up his place with God and made himself nothing. He became to be a man and it became a servant. I thirst. There were some that did not believe that. They're individuals in that day, they're called docetus, docetus. Docetus were individuals, or docetism was a, was a belief system then that, that no God, no Savior, no Messiah would give himself to be crucified or on the cross. It was not human. He was, he was, he was 100% God. He wouldn't be on the cross. And if that man on the cross, it is not really Jesus. It's someone else. It must be a ghost because no God would do that. That's what they believe. But when John heard, and it's recorded, I thirst, it signaled this man is human. We won't have docetists now, but what we have is Islam. The Quran makes this statement. The Quran says that, that never would God become a human being, and never would God die on a cross. They don't believe that God would go through any kind of humiliation. In fact, the Quran teaches that the disciples stole Jesus' body after the arrest and put someone else that looked like him in his place. And the crucifixion, it was a Jesus lookalike. But when, when they heard, I thirst, that's the voice of a human. It proved that he really was 
the promised Savior, but it's greater than that. It fulfilled one of the prophecies so that the Scripture would come true. It's here. So the Scripture would come true, Jesus said, fulfilling the prophecy, I thirst. It said for long, long time, at least 30, 33 years, hey, I'm, I'm going to die for you. I'm going to suffer for you. I'm going, to, I'm going to go to the grave over and over and over again. He said the Old Testament promise is not good enough to overcome death. He said you can practice the ritualistic routines. You can kill lambs. You can do all of that, but nothing is large enough to overcome death. There's only one supreme sacrifice. And that supreme sacrifice happens to be Jesus, the Son of God. And he has to do it exactly like the plan was given out of the Old Testament. He has to do it right. And these prophecies that have to be fulfilled, 380 prophecies out of that Old Testament were fulfilled to a T by the life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Do you have any idea what kind of plan that has to be so acute to be able to perform 380 times over several thousand years? And he said, here's how you're going to know the Messiah. When he appears, these things will happen. So it's no wonder, he said, according to fulfill the scripture, I thirst every Jew of the Jewish law knew what he meant when he said those words there were many fakes that would walk around and say I'm God they're still out there today many people that say I'm God many people say you know I'm the Redeemer I'm the Messiah there are some people that maybe you know one or two of who think they're God 380 prophecies that were there. The prophecy, for example, um, well, the Messiah is going to be born in Bethlehem. Only God could make that happen. No baby that I'm ever aware of gets to choose where they're going to be born. But it's stated in prophecy, many years before Jesus was born, he's going to be born there in Bethlehem. It said he's going to be raised over there, of course, in uh, Nazareth. And the prophecy said that he's going to raise the dead. It takes a God to say, you're going to raise the dead takes a God, of course, to say, hey, uh, you're going to be betrayed by close friends, and they're going to walk off and deny you, and it all took place. And it's going to be something for you to be in court, and no one can find a charge against you. And it's stated by one of the officials, we cannot find a charge against this guy, but you still take him and you crucify him. One of the prophecies is going to be hung on the cross. Did you know what? That that prophecy was made more than 1,000 years before it actually took place. And when that prophecy was made, there was no such thing as a crucifixion. The prophecy said something is going to happen that had not even been invented yet or known to man. But it happened. 
Do you think the God you serve is some wimp that takes lunch breaks and time out, that he's not aware of every thought, of every activity? Do you think we serve a God that went through all that to become absent in your life and is not aware when you're hurting and you're pain? Do you think that we serve a God that went through all that trouble, that his eye is not on you? Do you think we serve a God who created the sparrow and knows when one goes down and when one hair comes out of your head? I'm telling you, that God is is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and the offspring of that is Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God, and he cares for you. Lest you get weary, and the enemy lie to you, and bog you down, and mix you up, and mess you up, you just remember his name. His name is Jesus. He was betrayed by the friend, and that was prophesied doing crucifixions. It was prophesied they'd take his clothes and, and throw dice and gamble for his clothes. It was stated that he would say, forgive those who, who bring aught against me. That was prophesied. What does he cry on the cross? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It was prophesied. Where's he going to be buried? In a rich man's tomb. And God did speak to the rich man, and guess where Jesus was buried? In a rich man's tomb. That was thousands of years before he died. And it was stated in Psalm 69, 21, when I was thirsty, they offered me vinegar. Thousands of years before it happened. So they offer him the first drink, a liquid with myrrh, and they're going to desensitize him. I'm telling you, after going through what he went through, it makes you want to sit up straight in church and say, wow, I'm in the presence of the Word of God. Wow. And now he says, the prophecy, they offered me vinegar. What is a jar of vinegar doing at an execution site? What is a jar of vinegar? But yet that's the prophecy. Well, let's figure out why. The soldiers offered Jesus a drink that's called Pascha. Pascha, P-A-S-C-A. Pascha. It was a poor man's drink. Where did it come from? It was a popular drink, the lower class in Greece, Rome. David prophesied it, but here's how you would get it. Wine that was not properly processed, real wine, was not properly processed or contained correctly, would turn sour. Wine in that day sat long enough to turn sour and bitter. It it became what we know as vinegar. So, okay, it's wine that once was that's now sour. It's no good, but how do you deal with it? You take that nasty taste of the wine gone sour, you add water to it, and you add a few herbs to it, and it becomes a poor man's drink. And the poor people drank it in the first place. The average person then could not pay for it. 
It actually had benefits if you were to drink it because of vinegar. Many would get scurvy in that day, and the vinegar would often kill the wine that spoiled bacteria in the system, and it was actually better and healthy, more healthy for water. So when Jesus refused the first drink, and he says, I'm thirsty with the second drink, guess what they give him? They give him vinegar that's been diluted with water with herbs added. Oh, but there's another prophecy that has to take place. The Jewish and the Roman soldiers understood. How do you get it to him? He's nailed. His feet are nailed. You take the hyssop stick and you put a sponge on the end and you dip it in the vinegar. You raise it up, fulfilling a prophecy for Jesus and rub it on his lips. And when that happened, all the Jews knew what just happened. You see, in the days of Moses, remember him? Moses had conflict with Pharaoh. Pharaoh would not set God's people free. They were under Egyptian bondage. Moses went in and said, let my people go. Who do you think you are? Let my people go. I remember you, Moses. You're a skunk. Moses said, hey, but I've been de-skunked by Jehovah. And I come in the name of Hallelujah. I come in the name of the great I am that I am. Hallelujah. An unending name. I am that I am that I am that I am. There is no period there. It never stops. The great I am still reverberates today. How are we doing out there, everybody? Here we go. Let my people go. Pharaoh said, not a chance. Moses said, well, why don't we find out and play and see whose God is bigger? Pharaoh's pride could not turn that down. We'll bring it home. Moses said, well, listen, 17 plagues are going to take place. 17 plagues are going to take place, so get ready. How many say 10? I may say 17 is 10. Dr. Bird, superintendent of school, said, boy, when you said that, I thought, uh-oh, I'm in the wrong place. I don't even know how many plagues took place. She said, but then when you were playing with us, Pastor, yeah, just checking your knowledge. Uh, Pharaoh, the Egyptian, uh, you, you Egyptians, you worship a lot of gods. You worship the God of the frogs. How would you like a few frogs? And for plague, more frogs than you, you could eat frog legs day and night. The frogs were so great, that was a plague. Here was another plague that took place. It said, oh, you worship the Nile River. Let me show you about the Nile River. By the way, let's go down to the shore of the river and let's take a look. It's solid red out of the blood that's there. What do you think about that? Now whose God is greater? Well, here's another one. I'm going to give you an opportunity because there were 10 plagues in all. But here's the last one. What do you think it should be? Pharaoh said, mm, let me see. I'll tell you what. 
You can call this a plague. But I'm about to take the life of the oldest male sons in your kingdom. They're going to be history. Moses said, that's okay. Is that what you're going to do? Matter of fact, Pharaoh, why don't you let me do that for you? Moses gets his people together. He says, kill your best animal. Take the blood and take a hyssop stick. Not a crowbar. Not a palm branch. Take a hyssop stick. Put a sponge, dip it in the blood of the pure animal and put it over the doorpost. Because a death angel is going to fly over and the only thing he's going to pass is the one that's covered in the blood. Oh, hallelujah, that's covered in the blood of Jesus Christ, the Son of the living God. When they took that sponge, hallelujah, dipped it, of course, in the vinegar and put it up to the lips, he happened to be the Redeemer whose blood was shed that took away the sins of the world and said, if you believe in him, you will be redeemed and eternally saved and not eternally lost. They understood that when it happened happened and sure enough they died because the blood was not over their doorpost exodus 12 22 gives the scripture for that the prophecy take a branch of the hyssop plant dip it in the bowl fill with blood then wipe the blood on the sides and the top of the door frames that's where he said when he said i'm thirsty it did two things it proved number one that he was really human and not just god but really human and it also proved that he really was the promised Messiah. I'm thirsty. You never knew that two words could mean so much, did you? He is real. You see those little faces on the kids' club and the Circle J? They're real. But many of them don't have the blood over them yet but we will give drink to those that are thirsty amen we will it shows that he really loves me when he said i'm thirsty thirsty that's what he did he suffered and thirst so that i could i could be redeemed and here's what Paul writes in Romans 5, 8. God demonstrated his own love for us that in while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. This is interesting. I shared this illustration in the first service this morning. August the 16th, 1987. August 16th, 1987. Northwest Airlines, flight number 225, took off from the Detroit airport 22nd later that plane crashed and burned. 155 people died. There was 156 on board. The one survivor was a little four-year-old girl from Temple, Arizona named Cecilia. Shaken and and survived and rescued, spray down the foam and hear the cry 
grabbed her, ran. Once she settled down, how, how did it happen? She says, my mommy, when there was trouble, my mommy undid her belt and came over and knelt down in front of the seat that I was in and told me to cuddle up in a ball. And my mommy put her arms and her head and her chest over me and held me tight until it was over. Her mommy saved her life. And you and I, we question God. We get upset. We get disturbed. We don't know if we've got enough money. We don't know if we're, we don't, we get confused. I'm telling you, here's what he says. But I am the rose of Sharon, and I'll put my covering over you and over your family and over your children and over your job, and I'll protect you and guide you so no devil can snare you out of my hand. So I shared that story, and at the end, a guy came up, a big guy hugged my neck. He said, hi, my name is Mike. Hi, Mike. He said, I am from Detroit, and I am a police officer then, and I worked that plane crash, and the way you told it is exactly how it happened. I still see it today with the rescue of little Cecilia. She was saved because her mama sacrificed. It's not hard to serve Jesus when you realize he's still in the business. Come on, somebody, of creating miracles and doing the great and the wonderful things. How wonderful. Mother Teresa said it impacted me. Here's what she said in her Sisters of Charity and her Home for the Dying. Calcutta, India is where it started, and then it went many places around the world. She has a picture of Jesus in every home, and underneath it says, I am thirsty. Mother Teresa said, our duty is to quench the thirst of Christ by helping others who are thirsty. That's our goal. That's our desire. God, I'm thirsty. When you hear people say, I'm bored, I'm fed up with church, I'm unhappy, I'm not fulfilled, I'm not satisfied, this person's got a hold of me, let me tell you what they're telling you is they are thirsty. They may not come right out and say, I'm thirsty, but you can know it just as they knew when that hyssop stick went up with that sponge. You can say, I know what you need is a good old-fashioned dose of renewal, a good old-fashioned dose of redemption, a good old-fashioned dose of revival, a good old-fashioned dose of the passion of Jesus Christ for in him everything becomes well and whole again. You don't have to live that way. You don't have to worry. You don't have to be in anxiety. You can rise above it and let the one who died for you be everything and more in your life. Come on, y'all stand up on your feet before I can stop preaching. I need to land. Amos 8 says there's coming a time when famine will hit the land and people are going to be hungry, but not for food. He said there's coming a time people are going to be thirsty, but not for water. 
He said, it's the time when people are going to be searching and looking. And what does the Word of God say in Matthew 25? You have the ability to see those that are thirsty. You have the ability to see family members that are lost. Are you giving them anything to drink? Are you just playing with them? You're just dancing with them a little bit while every minute that ticks away gets them one day closer. Jesus said, if you give a cup of cold water to the least of my followers, you're going to be rewarded. He said, if your enemies are hungry, give them drink. Don't hate them. Give them drink. Give them water. Jeremiah said, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they shall be healed. And finally, John 14. People soon became thirsty again after drinking this water, but the water that I give them takes away thirst altogether. It becomes a perpetual spring within them, giving them eternal life. That's the power of the blessing and the love of Jesus. Sing it with us together, everybody, right now. Bow your heads, sing it. Here we go. Oh, the blood of Jesus. Sing it from your heart, my friends. And oh, the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes away as snow. Here's what I'm going to do. I haven't done this in a long time, and I'm, I didn't know I was going to do it until just now. If you're grateful for that, I'm going to ask you to slip out of those pews. I mean, if you're just a little teensy-tinesy grateful for that, and you want to be a light that cannot be hidden, and you want a blessing beyond what you deserve, and you want to declare for the rest of my life, Jesus Christ is Lord. Here's what I'm asking you to do. If you're in the balcony, you're in the back, you're here. Make some movement down here and let's acknowledge, God, I surrender. Your blood has made me whole. You come right now, everybody together. Let's press in. Hallelujah. We're going to wait. Come on down. Press on in. 
This is important for you. It's an act of commitment, an act of dedication, an act of obedience. If you only move 10 feet, I'm telling you, one step to him is unbelievable. Now just lift your hands and sing together. Here we go. And then we're going to pray. At the cross, at the cross, where I first saw the light and the burden of my heart rolled away. It was there by faith I received my side. to pray but look this way if you know in your heart of hearts that you need to get a little bit closer to Jesus if you know in your heart of hearts you've been kind of stepping in the wrong direction and you haven't been as passionate or maybe it's you that says you know I haven't paid any attention at all I came in today to do church but I had no idea that I'd have to get involved I want to leave here clean. I want to leave here clean. For some other reason, the Holy Spirit's speaking to you. And you want to be in this prayer. Any of those areas and more, I want you to raise your hand. Put it right down. Get it up real high. There you go. I want to get just pressing in. Here I go. Here we go. Father, we cannot do enough to create a spiritual atmosphere. But where two or three are gathered together, you are there. The one who spoke the world into existence is in this room. The power that Jesus came out of that old grave is in this room. The power that fell on the day of Pentecost is in this room. The power that healed the lepers is in this room. The one that raised the drunk from a drunken stupor is in this room. The one that healed the marriage and brought it back together is in this room. The one that brought profit to the business that was failing is in this room. The one that secured a piece of property for someone when it was impossible is in this room. The one that's redeemed a teenage child who wandered away is in the house right here, right now. We give him praise and we thank you, God, because we know that you bridge the gap between us and eternal hell. And today, we thank you. Say this prayer after me, everybody. Dear Jesus, Dear Jesus forgive, me. forgive me. I have sinned. I, have sinned. I, need, forgiveness, I need forgiveness. And I believe by faith. I, by faith. I, am, free. I am free. I am healed. I am, healed. I am liberated, liberated by the grace of God. Grace of God. Amen. Amen. That's your benediction. I'll see you tonight. God bless you, everybody.